Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So, take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. He kōna e pūrangi tēnei nā te reo irirangi o Aotearoa. I like to think about mathematical modelling as building a spaceship. The translation of the real world to mathematical equations is like building a spaceship. Kia ora, ko Claire Kincannon tēnei. This week on Our Changing World, the wonder of mathematics. How maths can help us understand the world around us and how we can use crafts, including knitting and origami, to better understand maths. Later, we will hear from Katie Gossett as she catches up with the maths craft team at a festival in Christchurch. But first, I spoke to Alona Bental from the mathematics department at Massey University about how mathematical modelling can be like journeying to space to get a new perspective. Once you made this translation to equations or you have the spaceship, then I like to forget about the physiology or the real world problem I solved. The spaceship takes me to another world, (laughs) the mathematical world. And now you are in the mathematical world, you're surrounded by very clear rules and logic and things need to be solved in a certain way, and you can't just do everything you like, right? You you have the constraints of the mathematical world. So you solve the mathematical equations. And then, for me, the, the very exciting part is traveling back to where I started. Because when we travel back, you suddenly see the world you came from with a different perspective. And that's when you get new understanding of the world around us. Now, Alona is also a member of Manaki Manawa, the University of Auckland-based centre for heart research. She uses mathematics to study how the heart works and how the lungs work and how the heart and lungs interact, which is an interesting way to study the heart and lungs. So how did Alona get into this area of research? I was trained as an engineer. I was trained as a mechanical engineer. And I liked engineering very much because you bring a theoretical result and and use them. After her degree, Alona got a job as a research engineer with the Israel Electric Corporation, where she modelled non-linear dynamical systems, systems that change with time. She found them pretty fascinating, so she went on to do her PhD on one of the problems that had interested her during her engineering work. And when she was offered a postdoc opportunity to do some modelling of the human body, she decided to give it a go. So I ended up uh, going to seminars at the Bioengineering Institute for about two months and listening to their talks. And I heard talks about the lungs and I heard talks about the heart. And I thought, the heart and the lungs are two oscillators and they interact. 
And this is really interesting from a dynamical system perspective, from a mathematical perspective. My PhD was on oscillators. So oscillators are things that repeat with time. So like the blood going around the circulatory system and the heart pumping, that's a repetitive movement. So that's an oscillator. Exactly. You can think of breathing also as an oscillator. So you breathe yeah. in. You breathe out. You breathe out. Yeah. In fact, the neural system that control our breathing is also an oscillator. It's oscillate and that's what drive our breathing, especially when we are asleep. During the day, we, we don't think about breathing as, as an oscillator because we, it's interrupted by our speaking. But when we sleep, it is definitely an oscillator. So when we breathe in, the oxygen in the air taken into our lungs gets transferred to the blood. And the heart then does the job of pumping the blood around the body, where the oxygen is taken into the cells, used to make energy, carbon dioxide is produced in the process, and that then gets transferred to the blood, which is taken back to the lungs for us to exhale out. These are two interconnected and carefully controlled systems. And so when you listen to these symposiums and you realised that the heart and lung were these oscillator systems, for you, it made sense to develop a mathematical model to try and investigate them further. Yes, absolutely. Why? What is the benefit that a mathematical model gives you rather than studying the heart and lungs directly in a living thing? Okay, so I came with a background in modeling a nonlinear system in industry before I started my PhD. And it was really there that I saw the real benefits of mathematical modeling. Nonlinear systems can have really peculiar behavior. They can have more than one possible resting position. They can have chaotic behavior. And it's really the mathematical model that helps you make sense of really strange behavior. So it was very clear to me that if I want to understand what is happening, I need a mathematical model. For me, it was the first thing to think about. And I should also say, perhaps, that biology was never something I liked. <laughs> I, 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 bef until I did my postdoc, I didn't work in, in mathematical biology field. I was a mechanical engineer. I'm used to modeling mechanical systems or electrical systems, not biological systems. So getting into biology via mathematics was a better pathway for me. But I guess when you look at the heart and the lungs, they're quite, mm, I was going to say mechanical systems. I mean, I know they're not a machine, but it's like a pump. That's right, absolutely. The, the human body is a, is a wonderful machine. Yeah. <laughs> it's fascinating. So I've learned to really appreciate physiology. Yeah, and now as a member of the Heart Center at Auckland University, I'm interacting with physiologists and learning their language and how they studying the system from their perspective. One of the things that you were investigating was this change in heart rate 
when a person is breathing in or breathing out? Yeah, so this is a very well-known phenomenon. People who are young and fit from an early age, when we breathe in, heart rate goes up. And when we breathe out, heart rate goes down. And if we breathe very slowly and deeply, this is more pronounced. So this is actually existing in all mammals and birds as well. And when that starts to change, it's an indication that something is going wrong. So when it disappears... The fact that your heart increases with breathing and decreases when you breathe out is an indication that, one indication that your heart is working well. When this disappears, it's usually the first sign that your heart is getting sick. Okay. And it's not completely clear if it's a sign that your heart is getting sick or it's because it disappears that the heart is getting sick. Gotcha. Chicken or egg. Yes, exactly. And you wanted to investigate that. So there was a thought that this change in heart rate along with the breathing was to enhance the efficiency of taking on oxygen. oxygen. Exactly. So people knew that this breathing in and increasing heart rate and decreasing heart rate when we're breathing in and out is a sign of a good, healthy heart, but they couldn't understand why why this is a good sign. And so one experiment that has been done in 1996 in dogs suggested that perhaps it improves uptake of oxygen, this phenomenon. And we decided to test it with the mathematical model. But to our great disappointment, <laughs> the model result didn't show a significant effect. So we thought, oh, we must have chosen bad parameters for the model. And in an attempt to find better parameters, we simplified the model and we simplified it to the point that we could show that the hypothesis is wrong. So for this, in the simplified model, the hypothesis couldn't work. Alona's mathematical modeling showed that this hypothesis about the connection between heart rate and breathing, it, it couldn't be correct. So she then looked for other explanations by using modeling. One hypothesis that they had was that this was all about efficiency of the energy use of the heart. That the change in heart rate was about minimizing the energy spend of the heart while maintaining either oxygen levels or carbon dioxide levels in the blood. And so these were ideas that they could test in their mathematical modeling. And actually, they found that it's the maintenance of a constant level of carbon dioxide in the blood that is the important parameter. This kind of modeling is a nuanced business. So you need to optimize your model and you need to set constraints to make sure that what you're building is actually a useful model. It's not just enough to say, let's minimize the energy of the heart because the best way to minimize the energy of the heart is to stop it altogether, right? When we're dead, we're not spending any energy. So. <laughs> True. The mathematical model would say, if you want to save energy, <laughs> just <Yeah>. stop eating. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So that's why this is called optimization with constraints. 
It's not enough just to minimize the energy of the heart. You need a constraint, and the constraint is maintain levels of CO2 in the blood. It's interesting that it was CO2 that we had to maintain and not oxygen. The reason it's interesting is, is because when you think about control of breathing, the main thing that dictates how breathing is operating is CO2, not O2. It's carbon dioxide, not oxygen. So it was quite interesting that our result showed that you have to maintain CO2 while minimizing the energy used by the heart. I mean, you said there that you'll need to have constraints in your model. <laughs> And while stopping the heart sounds like a fairly obvious constraint, when you develop these models, are you working closely with physiologists to try and build in different constraints as you build the model back up again? We had discussions with them to make sure that the assumptions we make are reasonable. And we also read the literature, so there is a lot of uh, literature on this subject. Alona's space analogy really helped me to understand how mathematical modeling can help you look at something in an entirely new way, like this change of perspective that can give you new answers. And during our chat, I kept thinking about the pale blue dot photograph of Earth. So this is an image taken by the Voyager 1 space probe from a distance of 6 billion kilometers. And Earth is just like this tiny, tiny, tiny little dot. And it's this new perspective of our planet that we get that you could never get from standing on Earth. And it's just so eloquently articulated by Carl Sagan. That the Earth was a mere point in a vast, encompassing cosmos. But no one had ever seen it as such. Consider again that dot. That's here. That's home. That's us. And just as the pale blue dot picture gave us this cool new perspective, careful mathematical modeling can kind of do the same. And so at the end, when you came back, back from simplifying your mathematical model and then building it all the way back up again and then showing that it was actually reducing the energy expenditure and also keeping that carbon dioxide concentration constant. Did you go back to the physiologists and say, this is what we found? And what did they say to that? They were surprised and excited like we have been. And I, I guess... It, when we tried to publish it, it wasn't so easy to publish because it was a new idea. So I should say our paper was initially rejected by the editor. Alona and her collaborators sent the paper to the Journal of Physiology, but the editor told them that there was too much mathematics in it and asked, where are the physiology experiments? They reckoned that the paper should go elsewhere, but... Alona's collaborator felt that it was an important result that physiologists should know, so it should be in that journal. And eventually they were able to get it peer-reviewed and published. And Alona's physiologist collaborators are already doing experiments now into what this new information might mean practically for helping people. The physiologists at Auckland University are conducting experiments to check if a new pacemaker for the heart could be used to, to change how uh, the heart is paced with breathing. 
and if this improves the heart condition. And preliminary results are exciting. Heart disease remains the number one cause of death in New Zealand. So greater understanding of the nuanced interaction between heart rate and breathing could help in this ongoing battle. And I'm, I'm coming back to the fact that especially when you deal with nonlinear systems, they can really give you results that are not intuitive. And so that's when having a mathematical model gives you this different perspective and a surprising result. And that's really exciting. Thanks to Alona Bental for talking about her mathematical modelling space journeys. I have to admit that I actually love maths at school and university. I really like the rules and the patterns and the neat equations and even the puzzles, you know, fine for X. And of all of the homework I had to do, maths was the first thing that I would pull out of my bag. But of course, maths is much more than homework and solving for X. It's actually in the world all around us, including sometimes in the shapes and patterns of things that we make. Katie Gossett visited a math craft festival in Christchurch to learn about mathematical concepts through crochet, knitting and origami. The other day, I cut a strip of paper and stapled the ends together, so it was a bit like a bracelet. Except just before I stapled it, I turned the paper and put a little twist in it, and then it wasn't a bracelet anymore. It was a Mobius strip. So what's a Mobius strip? Well, it's a non-orientable surface, which means it has just one side. We'll come back to Mobius strips a bit later. But essentially, it's a mathematical concept that I wasn't familiar with. I understand what it is now because I made my own. Things that are often sort of really intangible and abstract, we can actually create them. We use craft to demonstrate complex mathematical ideas like the Mobius strip or hyperbolic planes. That's Jeanette McLeod, pure mathematician, senior lecturer at the University of Canterbury and director of MathsCraft, an organisation that brings maths to the people. It all started back in 2016 when Jeanette and a visiting mathematician decided to give a talk about the link between maths and craft. I'm an investigator with Tupunaha Matatini, one of our centres of research excellence, and I pitched the idea to them and they said, yes, do it, but think big. So it went from a small public talk to a two-day festival at the Auckland Museum. (laughs) So we started big and we didn't know how people would respond or if they would even come, but that event attracted 1,800 visitors and we sort of finished it, thought that was amazing, And then the emails and requests started coming in from all around New Zealand saying, can you please run a festival in my town? And we realised we have to keep going. They applied for an Unlocking Curious Minds grant and started running festivals around the country. Five years later, they're still at it, showing people another side to mathematics. In the playful, mistake-ridden way that we approach craft, and, you know, and it's playful and it's fun and there's, it's low stakes, that better models how mathematicians do mathematics than what we're taught in school. So we also hope that when people engage in these crafts, they understand how mathematicians go about solving problems in a more playful and creative way. 
And it seems to be needed, because whether or not it's how you got taught maths at school, when you mention the subject, somehow or other, it often gets this response. Oh, <laughs> my brain kind of goes into free fall and I start panicking and sweating when I start thinking about maths. My least favourite subject in primary school and high school. I was rubbish at maths, but I really love being able to learn a problem. I just have no memory of being able to do the formulas. Because I wasn't good at it to begin with, I had no urge to learn or get better at it. Part of the issue is that for children, and maybe for adults too, we think of maths as absolute. You're either wrong or you're right. Jeanette McLeod sees it more as a journey. There's no mathematician in the world who hasn't made mistakes, isn't constantly making mistakes. It is part of mathematics and it's how we learn. So have a go, get it wrong, and then you can see what happened and try again. I mean, that's what we do in craft, after all. And sometimes it can be really soothing to have a craft project. When you're sitting in class, you've been told how to do something and you feel like you're the only one who doesn't get it. It's horrible, but if you have some paper to fold or something to crochet, while you're processing what you're learning, you've got something to do. So you can work on creating the object while your mind slowly processes the mathematics. And then by the end, when you're holding it, you might think, oh, now I see. Jeanette and her colleagues tested the theory last year on third-year students, and the feedback was that classes were more relaxed and the students felt less pressured. Jeanette gives an example of how she approached a topology class. So the first shape I wanted to introduce them to was the Mobius strip. We sort of see it at primary school and we think it's a bit of a little trick that you just take a strip of paper, you put half a twist in it, bring the two ends together and you have a Mobius strip. But at university we can show them lots of really interesting things about it. We get them to cut them up and make predictions what will happen if you cut it all the way around following a centre line. And it blows your intuition away. You can't guess what's going to happen. When you see what you get, it's mind-blowing, but we can talk about it and they can work out why it happened. And this sort of launches us into not only the study of topology and these interesting surfaces, but this idea that mathematical intuition is its not really a thing. It's really, really hard to have an intuition about mathematics. So be ready to be surprised. Be ready to be wrong. And this sort of sets the tone for the class. Now, is that a Mobius strip I see on your wrist? Yes. <laughs> This is a crocheted Mobius strip. <laughs> it looks a bit like a sweet band. <laughs> it is a mathematical sweat band. <laughs> After all, we did hear earlier that maths really does make some people sweat. Jeanette's quick to point out that she doesn't wear her Mobius strips all the time, but they're an example of how people can use their own once they've crafted them. You can also see the Mobius shape in some cowls and shawls that are designed that way to sit nicely on the body. And if you think that you've never worn a Mobius strip, ask yourself if you've ever gone to a conference and been given a pass with a lanyard to wear around your neck. A lot of lanyards are Mobius strips, again designed to sit well against the body. As for Jeanette's mathematical sweatbands, she brings them out for festivals, and today's event is at the Christchurch Arts Centre. So in this station, this is our colouring and drawing. So it's nice because this can be, especially for young kids, they can have a go at this. Some of the maths activities on offer include trying the four-colour theorem, which states that any map in a plane can be coloured in using only four colours, without any countries that share a boundary being the same colour. 
We have to use only four colours and we have to colour it in. And we have to try not to make two together. Is it hard? Yeah. This was a lot harder than I expected. So you have completed I, the, the uh, full colour. I started to try and fix up my mistakes <laughs> and I've gone completely up the wazoo. I'm going to take one for my very mathematically inclined husband and see if he can do it. Excellent. There's the challenge for him. There's a bottle of wine on the line. <laughs> and the idea of getting people engaged with maths seems to be working. I think it's awesome. I do Girl Guides Leader and we've got a heavy STEM focus so I'm really excited to take some of these crafts and activities back to the Girl Guides. I think it's quite cool because it makes you think more about how math is in a lot of things around us and we never notice. The math things here is fun because there's lots of different activities and it's difficult for your brain. Mathscraft also features a number of public talks. One of them is from Hinka Olsinger and Bernd Krauskopf, mathematicians from the University of Auckland. They've come to talk about the Lorenz manifold and Hinka has her own special prop. So this is what is called the crocheted Lorenz manifold. So the Lorenz manifold is an object that is related to the well, somewhat famous Lorenz system, which is uh, the first, I guess, example that uh, made mathematicians realize that there is such a thing as unpredictable systems where you cannot possibly know what's going to happen at the next instance in time. And so it explains why it's so hard to predict the weather, for example. Henke created the first crocheted Lorenz manifold in 2003, and it took her four months and 25,511 stitches. But it was worth it to see the abstract concept in real life. You have your computer-generated picture that you're looking at and you would like to see the real thing and try to imagine what it really looks like on, in three-dimensional space. And then the realization that the computer-generated data can be read as a Corsair instruction, that almost is a challenge, right? You have to take it up. It was a challenge that captured the public imagination. You know, you talk about mathematics, a lot of people are not so interested, maybe. And you talk about crochet, maybe only a few people are interested. You put the two together, we suddenly end up being on the news and international newspapers write about this. So it was somehow just the right combination of two quirky things that really spoke to a lot of people. The pair have since published the crochet instructions and about 13 people around the world have given it a crack, two of them in New Zealand. It's really been taken up by people as some unusual crafting project and it takes a lot of work. I think many people have started, but how many finished? Hink has now refined it and estimates it should take about 80 hours to crochet. You don't mind blisters on your fingers, then two weeks should be enough. <laughs> I'll get right on it. <laughs> the crocheted manifold is a project that fits well here at the Maths Craft Festival, which is all about using craft to make maths accessible. This is extremely high-end mathematics. It is part of the research that we do. So these are very big highly scientific questions that we're trying to address. But somehow with the crochet, we've brought it down to a level where anybody on the street is suddenly interested in it. And that's what makes it very exciting to be part of MathsCraft. There's been good support for MathsCraft from the mathematics community. 
Many teachers already use its online resources and it's running a new pilot in Canterbury, Maths Craft in a Box, that will send ideas and materials out to schools. But one of the frustrations, especially if you're a mathematician, is that success is hard to quantify. With festivals, it's like dropping a stone into a body of water. You know, the ripples go out and you can't really measure how much you've changed somebody's life. Anecdotally, people tell us things like, my children always hated mathematics and saw themselves as bad at it, but now they think they're good at it. One man in particular said after building a manga sponge, he went and enrolled in engineering. (laughs) So he realised that that's what he wanted to do. Jeanette points to the valuable work mathematicians do in the real world, from measuring what happens if we overfish our oceans, or how tuberculosis travels through a possum population, through to the COVID modelling work her colleagues did last year. She also hopes a greater comfort with maths generally will encourage people into other sciences. But the real takeaway from maths craft may be the way we think about things. Let's come back to the Mobius strip, which I talked about at the start. Mobius strips are loops, after all. We've heard that they can be used to make cows and lanyards. They can also be used as belts and factory machinery because they only have one side, so they wear evenly. But their very construction suggests a different way of thinking. If you take something, give it a wee tweak, and then see it in a different way. What we'd like is that people could see that there's actually mathematics all around us in everything, and it's really useful for problem solving just in everyday life. So how can you take that methodical, logical, but creative thinking and apply it to other things in your life? That was Katie Gossett talking to Jeanette McLeod, the director of MathCraft. Katie also spoke to mathematicians from the University of Auckland. This episode was produced by Katie Gossett and me, Claire Concannon. Sound mixing was by Alex Harmer and Phil Benj. Tim Watkin is executive producer. Have you followed the Our Changing World podcast yet? It's the best way to never miss an episode. And you can do it for free on Apple, Spotify, iHeart, or wherever you like to get your podcasts. Now, there are some awesome Our Changing World episodes on mathematics that you can also listen to, and we will link them to this story on our website, rnz.co.nz slash ourchangingworld, along with some crafty photos. And if you want to share your thoughts on maths, we are on Facebook or Twitter at RNZ Science. There are lots of other great podcasts on RNZ that are also worth checking out. Click on the Podcasts and Series tab to have a look. The newest series, called Redline, investigates China's growing influence in New Zealand. Thanks so much for listening. I'm Claire Concannon, and I'll be back again next week with another episode. Na mihi nui. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.